Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Ready? It's the Roundtable with me, Robert Bannon. Well, you know we love voices on this show. I love singers. I love singers that are smart, good singers. Our next singer has done Broadway, has done jazz, has done pop, is singing a cappella, has a choir. Their music is out. You can watch her sing live, live in New York City coming up. I mean, she was on Broadway, and when she was not in the show for a moment, to replace that voice, they need to bring in Patti LaBelle. That's a fact. Because that's how big of a, of a monster of a voice. Yeah. Abana Kumsum Davis is here. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Well, I have a lot of questions because reading your bio, okay. <laughs> you have a winding road like I kind mm-hmm. of have too. You went to Sarah Lawrence College, which is quite the... Yeah quite the school where you were in, the BA, <laughs> in liberal arts and also the teacher's college. Yeah. And were you, were you going to be a teacher? Yeah. You know, it's interesting from the time, you know, if you went back and you looked at my high school yearbook, it says aspiring English teacher, um, which I didn't even remember that was something that was there until I went back years later, but I've always just really loved the play of language and it's always been exciting to me. I think language is what draws me to teaching. It's what draws me to music. It's what drew me to be a singer. You know, I played other instruments before I started singing. And I think it was the words that pulled me in. Which is so fascinating. So was there a, dec- a decisive moment, a precise moment that you said, mm. I'm going to do this professionally? You know, I think it wasn't so ma- so much a matter of making the decision to do it professionally as it was. I just made the decision to keep doing it. And then because I kept doing it, other opportunities started to land in my lap. I mean, you know, Fela, for example, um, I was teaching and I was actually a dean at a, at a high school in Chelsea. And a friend of mine who knew, you know, I grew up Ghanaian and listening to a lot of West African music and knew that I loved Fela. I used to go to the Fela jump and funk parties that were happening in the city. And, you know, he basically said, I think you would be great for this. You should go audition. And my first thought was, who's doing a musical about Fela Kuti? <laughs> you know, like that was that was already a revelation, you know? So um, the idea that I could sort of marry these worlds of like loving music and loving singing and also playing the role of a teacher because that's what Fela's mother was, it just, it, it was just the right moment. It was just the right moment. I precisely remember seeing the show oh, two or three times. I, mm. I the hauntingness of your character and of yeah. the through the top of the stage and across the ch- through yeah. the through the stage and and the moments the beauty of the moments and the music um that show went on you know three tony awards and was recognized and went off broadway to broadway to all over and we took it to nigeria which was even more incredible and i do have to say this that um you know that synchronicity that happened with that character um, and me getting to workshop it with Bill T. Jones when we were off Broadway and then eventually getting a chance to play it on Broadway 
one of the coolest moments about that show was that um, Lilius White um, actually performed the role for our Broadway debut. And I had seen Lilius White play in Once on this Island when I was in high school. And so to see this hero of mine and, you know, um, it was really, it was stunning. It was stunning. Well, this show is stunning you, and, and your voice is stunning. Has education, you know, you have a, you have a master's degree in educational leadership. I, I do too. I oh, could, I could sell you my diploma because I don't want to be a principal, <laughs> but, but I, and for me, school, history major, a, a, a master's in English, a, a, a educational leadership, principal's license, et cetera. I came back to this world singing and acting and hosting, you know, after 16 years of being in a public school. But I always say that the teaching world, the world of teaching and being a teacher helps in the art. Is there a way that you can equate the gifts of teaching to, to the artistic life? Yeah, it's, um, for me, they're on a similar wavelength. Uh, I think that, you know, I think that life can be polyrhythmic. And I think my particular rhythm is, you know, playing a lot of different beats at once. And, you know, the teaching beat is the one where I, I stay in touch with the love of learning. And I think it makes me a better performer. Um, I, I think the, the singing beat is the one where I stay in touch with my identity and, and who I am and what makes me tick. And I think that makes me a better teacher to be able to see that in the lives of my students. Um, and my message to my students is find that thing that excites you and learn as much as you can about it. And in that, learn as much about yourself as you can. Ooh, that is 100% the truth. Yeah. You, your bio says that you're polyphonic. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and, and that's such a fascinating word. What does that word mean to you? And how do you describe that as a life philosophy? Yeah, I think as a philosophy, it's the idea that many sounds at once and many events at once can be in sync with one another. And so uh, people have asked, like, did you ever get to the point where you needed to choose teaching or singing? And so for me, it's never been or, it's always been and. It's always been how does this, how does this harmonize with the movement of my life? Um, and so that's that's how I've lived, and um, I don't think it's by accident. I come from you know Ghanaian heritage, where dance, drumming, and song is such an integral part of how we communicate as a, a community. And so I think I'm making my little my version of that, you know, every day, kind of walking, singing, talking, being in touch with my heartbeat. <laughs> All of those things. Well, while we're talking, I want people to make sure that they, you can go to the website for more information and you, all of this stuff is there. Mm -hmm. And before we get started to talk more about the music and what you have out now, yeah. I want people to know that on the 4th of October, two shows in New York City, smokejazz.com. What is it like to see this show? What do you have in store for us when we come hang out with you on an evening? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I you know, that that place, that space. Um, when I first moved to New York City in the 90s, it was Augie's. And it was this place where jazz musicians were coming and making such incredible music. And it continues to be that to this day. And uh, it feels like such a huge homecoming to think about this place where I stood and I've heard so much music and absorbed so much music. To be able to give back in that space feels 
like a real honor. Um, and so I'm really focused on uh, celebrating my heroes. And one of my heroes is the legendary vocalist, Carmen McRae. And Carmen McRae was such an incredible interpreter of language. Um, and so I've chosen some of my favorite selections of hers uh, to share with our audience. And also a couple standards that will be on my upcoming album, which actually will uh, come out in February of next year um, on WJ3 Records. So I've been working on a jazz album. I'm super excited about it. So this will be an opportunity to share some of that material as well. You can get your tickets, you can get a sneak peek. You can sneak peek of what's to come in February. Go to smokejazz.com. It's on the 4th. It's two shows. So grab the tickets before they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> while you're making this, so you're making an album. Yeah. And while you're making an album, you keep yourself busy singing with a lot of other people, hmm. groups, different performers. And I was listening to, we'll start here. You can, this joy by the Resistance Revival Chorus yeah what a beautiful group of of performers yeah orchestrated music directed or with the, the title by you and you know taking a song like the shirley caesar song and putting it with no with just acapella group of mm. women or non-binary performers and that song woo it's a very powerful moment what's it like to work with this group yeah, you know, it's interesting. It, it started in Sarah Sophie Flicker's living room, right? Um, there were a group of people who really felt like bringing music to the spaces where we were um, crying out about justice and bringing music to um, the spaces where people were using their voices um, in protest or in community was really important, that the the speeches were important and the activism was important, but also getting all of our hearts to sync together um, was important. And that's what music does. That's what acapella music does. Um, you know, there's all kinds of evidence that says when we're singing together that our heartbeats start to synchronize. Um, synchronize. Um, I, I remember hearing that from Dr. Isai Maria Barnwell of Sweet Honey and the Rock, who's a big influence and, and 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 hero of ours as an ensemble. So it's incredible. You know, we've built so many relationships with each other um, over the last several years. And, you know, it's a family and it comes with all of the things that family comes with, you know, which is the joy and also, you know, some of the struggles. Like we really um, we're in it with each other and, and really trying to help and support each other wherever we can. Well, there's some monster voices in that crew. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not a game. Like just the just the idea that so many people, you know, it's a real mix of people who are professional musicians, and you know, we've always said that this is a place where act activists are finding their voice and vocalists are finding their activism. So it's a real range of people who are coming together um, to do the work. But so many of the folks on a professional level, I mean, I, I could shout them out. Trey Lamb is one I could shout out um, who has an incredible voice, an incredible show coming up at Joe's Pub. Just people who are out in the world just sharing a beautiful and incredible message. Well, one of my favorite questions to ask a, a true artist, an artist that uh, that is is how is for you. I, I know that when reading about this joy and the idea of the group, a joy is a form of act, as a form of protest yeah. in the face of oppression and et cetera. Yeah. What, what is the line for you as an artist, art and activism? How important are they to be merged together? Oh, again, I mean, I think it's a layering, right? Um, it, just in that, in that polyphonic way, I think there's, 
I think just like singing has to do with communicating a message, I think activism is about communicating a message and letting people know what the experiences are of people who have been harmed and what they need to be able to move forward, what they want for themselves and what their allies can support them in. And so I think at its core, you know, activism is a form of lifting your voice. Absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, that's beautiful. You could tell that you write. You could tell that that poetry is there. You got <laughs> to go to the website and read, and read some of your poetry mm-hmm. um, that, that's listed on there. I, Blacksmith Orchestra yeah. uh, on the website, which I, I, I read to talk about. I, I listen. I am. I have an English. I have a master's in English, but I. I did not go to Columbia. I have. <laughs> but there's so many layers. Talk about polyphonic. There's so many layers yeah. and, and different lines in that poem. Sure. You got to go check it out and read it. It talks about love. It talks about life. It talks about mm-hmm. self. It talks about all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. What, what is your process to write? Is it an idea that comes to your head? Is it a notebook? What? Mm-hmm. Do when you sit, if it's poetry, if it's music, if it's an idea, what what do you do to get the creative juices flowing? Yeah, I think it it has to do with, I think I think the process depends on the inspiration. Um, so for example, that that poem was inspired by listening to Lady Smith Black Mombasso mm. and just the resonance of their voices and the ways that they um the ways that they move a message by moving the tones and the notes and being in sync with each other, that was inspiring to me. So in that way, it kind of started with like a a pulse. And I kept writing words that felt like they were in sync with that pulse. And eventually I set it to music, which was really um, fun to perform. Um, And then with other things, so for example, you may or may not know this. My husband is uh, Steve Davis, who is a renowned jazz trombonist. Um, and Steve and I have been doing many, many more collaborations together. In fact, that's some of what was the impetus for um, the upcoming album. And he plays on the album and we wrote some pieces together for the album. I set words to one of his songs. So, you know, sometimes the song already exists and then the inspiration is when um, the words come, but we we wrote a song together called Perseverance, you know, and I I think it's I think it's a message that people will really appreciate because we've needed it so much <laughs> in these last few years, especially. What is it like to collaborate with with your partner, with your with your life partner? That's yeah. that either some people's dream or nightmare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, you know, first of all, the, the, you know, the pandemic definitely taught us that we, we really love each other and that we're good together because we spent a lot of time together. Um, I would say what it's like is it, it's the, it's sort of like having more of both of us. Right. Um, there are so many qualities that we see in each other where we sync up and we kind of mirror each other. And it's so good to look at someone and go, I recognize that thing in you because it's also in me, despite the fact that we have such, you know, there are so many differences. When you kind of look at us, you go, huh, that's interesting. But the ways are, you know, the ways that our sames are the same <laughs> makes it really, really fun to write together. We get excited by the same sorts of things and we listen to music similarly. So I think the same kind of um, musical experiences excite us. So yeah. it's really fun. 
I love that. It's a, it sounds like an amazing collaboration to me. Um, one of uh, the recent collaborations you've gotten to do is is quite a singer her, herself. That is with the one and only Natalie Merchant. Yeah, Miss um, Natalie. <laughs> so the other day, I, I get the email that we me and you get to chat, and I'm very excited about it. And I say, I'm going to go listen to the collaborations with Natalie Merchant. And there's yeah. a song called Big Girl. And yeah. I think to myself, it's let's see. I hope it's going to be an, an a nice inspirational song. I am at my desk in my day job, boohoo, <laughs> crying. I know. <laughs> oh, I'm like I need to hold on too. Come on, hold on, hold on. You oh. have no, you have no idea how many times I sang that line in the studio. <laughs> I must have sung it like sixty five times. Yeah. <laughs> collaborations with with Natalie Merchant start and what is it like to work with her and, and to be on these 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 tracks? Yeah, so um I we met in 2018. Uh she'd actually invited the chorus um to come up to Hudson Valley. Um Antonio Delgado was um running for a representative at that point and um there was really some great energy around just getting people out to vote and so we got to collaborate on, um, we got to sing on Heaven Help Us All, Stevie Wonder Tune, which we all really, really love. Um, and in that moment, we just, there was just a great connection, you know? Um, it was really fun to sing with her and she really loved the chorus. Uh, a few months later, we invited her down to come and, and sing at our holiday party that we were hosting in community and she came down and was so gracious. So that was kind of the seed that was planted. Um, and then, you know, then we, you know, we experienced the pandemic and, you know, some people know that Natalie went through a lot of health challenges during that time and wasn't able to sing. But when she got her first opportunity, it was with um, Montefiore Einstein was doing a tribute to their community to the to all the health workers and first responders that had been so vital um, in life keeping through that time. And she asked if I wanted to do some duets with her. And so we sang some of her, we sang some of her time honored hits. And I was like, I can't believe I'm singing Break Your Heart with Natalie Merchant. And and she looked at me when we were done. And I mean it was a scary time. Like we had to get double tested. We had to stay masked the whole time. We performed it in Radio City Music Hall to no one but cameras. I mean, it was like, it was a real ache. We wanted to touch each other, but we couldn't. I mean, it was it was really hard. And, and when it was all over, she said, we have to sing, we have to make an album. We have to do something together. And I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I felt that way too, but you know, as a musician, sometimes these things happen and sometimes they don't for good reasons, for all kinds of reasons. And then I got the phone call, hey, Natalie's written this album and here are the songs that she'd love for you to join her on. And I was ecstatic. And then she followed up the call with, doesn't your husband play trombone and doesn't he do horn arrangements? And I said, yes, he does. And so then we both got to be a part of the project, which was amazing. So you hear his horn arrangements on that tune and you also, you know, get to hear Natalie and I sing together. And sing you both do. And it is, I, I, I challenge anybody here to listen to that song and not be inspired. No matter the title could be Big Girl. It could you could be whatever gender you, <laughs> size, you will feel inspired. 
yeah. by Helen Aphrodite, I mean, you are all sing, singing and writing, and, and and it is really a beautiful. You could have a whole. The homework assignment is stream these songs. <laughs> stream, stream Resistance Revival Chorus's album. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank and you. then go buy tickets to smoke ja at smokejazz.com to see yeah. to see see this voice in action. You have so many nuances and, and areas of you know you're you you're a Broadway veteran now. You've done, <laughs> you've done theater. You're you're singing jazz. You're singing with rock pop icons. You're doing acapella music and, and directing and teaching, writing poetry. You can have it all. I get. We don't have. <laughs> we don't have to be put in a box. I think society yeah. sometimes tries to put us in a box. How yeah. do you live with the yes and as you said? Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the really important part of the yes is also the no, right? Um, every every yes is going to come with a no. And one of the things that I've learned is also the gracious no. And that has really allowed me to do the things that I want and need to do and and to say no graciously to the opportunities that either don't work for me or I know won't work for someone else or someone that I love. Um, there, there are a lot of things that I really wanted to do that I have turned down because I know that it's not sustainable for me to try to do every, every, everything. Um, and yeah, I push the envelope. <laughs> I do as much of the things that I want to do as I can. And I, I, you know, I have my Tim Gunn make it work moments. Um, but I, you know, but I also think that knowing how to say no is the only way you can say yes to the things that, that you love and that are important and that are sustainable and that, you know, help you to build the kind of community you want to live in. Ooh, I, I wish I learned that a lot. I'm still learning. <laughs> I wish I learned it a lot younger. Me too, but yeah. You know, I, I'm turning 40 and I have decided that it is time for me to not wake up and look at a schedule of things I don't want to do. Mm. I have space for the things I do. And it's really hard. It's really hard yeah. sometimes. I'm so lucky. I, I had parents who, you know, I was, I was in one teaching job very early in my career. And for so many reasons, I was, I was feeling my spirit crushed. And I didn't know what to do because I had a place to live. I had, you know, money in my pocket. And I, and I said to my dad, I was like, this, I just, I feel sad every day going to work. And he said, he calls me Babu. He said, Babu, you are not stuck. You are not stuck. And I was like, oh, okay. And I went home and I wrote a letter to whatever school I thought might be interested in me and who I was and what I could do. And I sent 60 letters to the New York City area to independent schools all over New York City. Um, 12 rejections, three yeses, and one of them became the school that I was at for eight years before Fela. So I always have to remember, like, I'm not stuck. I can make a move, you know, and then like, just keep taking the next step. You know, oh boy, not to change this and make it about me, 16 years I'm still teaching fifth grade in New Jersey. And I have always said, I love, I love my students. Yeah. There is a regret to, I don't want to be pigeonholed to with a mediocre amount of money to not live my dreams or mm -hmm. to have a safety net because my bills are paid. The check clears on the 15th mm -hmm. and the 
more. And I've been merging these two worlds forever. And as much as I talk to people who are educators who have gone to school for this, it is a common, we, you, we are, we can be so, we, we are polyphonic. We can yeah. be many things <laughs> yeah. and nothing happens for a reason. So when I quit my job, I'm coming to stay on your couch. That's what's going <laughs> to happen. I'll make breakfast. I could vacuum. I'm not. <laughs> okay. We can talk about that. <laughs> we want everyone to go to the website. We want everyone to stream the music. We go search and find the music. And we want everyone to grab their tickets, smokejazz.com, to make sure you come see the show as we anticipate uh, uh, album release for next year. We're really excited about it. Um, yeah. It's such an honor to talk to such a true artist and your spirit and beauty just resonates through yeah. this screen. So thank you for being here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Robert. It really has. Thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.